This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and you are joining us during our Kingdom Builders Month. Uh, Kingdom Builders at Christian Chapel is how we participate in what God is doing all over the world, in our community, and in the next generation. Kingdom Builders is over and above giving. Through your Kingdom Builders, every year we're able to give away between 20 and 30% of the annual budget of Christian Chapel to be part of what God is doing around the world. When you came in this morning, you saw a Kingdom Builders card that looks like this uh, on your seat or maybe in the seat back pocket in front of you. We're going to come back to those at the end, but it's an opportunity for us to consider how we can participate in Kingdom Builders this year and be part of what God is doing. As we do that, we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. Um, Acts is the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church, which is the story of God's kingdom. It's the story of how God's kingdom is built in us and through us. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to explore an early church decision to make it easy. And so as we do that, uh, we're going to be asking that question of what does it mean for me to make it easy for others to find and follow Jesus? But before we jump in there, I want you to think for just a minute about some of your favorite um, educators that you had. Maybe it was an elementary school teacher, a high school teacher, a college professor. Um, If you were in band or orchestra, think of that director that you really loved and enjoyed. If you played sports, think of the coaches that were your favorite or most successful. And I would imagine what all of those people have in common is that they were able to take complex ideas or complex complex systems and structures, and they were able to simplify it to the point that you could understand it and apply it, right? The hallmark of a great teacher is can you take the complex and make it simple? On the opposite side of that, the hallmark of a terrible teacher is somebody who has the ability to take the simple and make it complex, right? You've you've definitely found yourself in that frustrating experience at times, maybe at work or at school, where somebody is trying to tell somebody else about something you know, and you know it's not that hard, but they are making it sound like you're doing physics in Chinese, right? And it's just like, it is not that difficult. Let's just strip it down, let's make it easier, and let's make it accessible. About uh, 15 years ago, my oldest son was starting his first season of basketball. And uh, Angie and I, he, we had three kids at the time. I was a youth pastor at Christian Chapel. And so um, she had, we got the parent email that every parent gets, you know, when you sign your kid up for sports. If we desperately need someone to coach your child's team. And Angie turned to me and she said, this seems like a good thing for you. And I turned to her and I said, it does not. Um, and, uh, and so I explained to her that I was a very busy man um, and that I had a lot of responsibilities and that, you know, Paul said, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me and basketball is one of my childish ways. Sometimes it made me act in childish ways. And so I needed to move into adulthood. And so I did not sign up to coach. I ignored their repeated pleas. And I was convinced that someone more qualified would step in. I went to the first practice for Connor's team. And I was sitting in the stands with another dad. And we were explaining to each other how we were both far too busy to coach this team. And as we did that, there was a mom who stepped out, and as these boys were running around like chickens with their heads cut off, she got all the parents together, and she said, I just want you to know, I know nothing about basketball, 
I never played basketball. I've never coached basketball. But if I didn't step up, we weren't going to have a team. And I sat there and thought, God bless you. This is wonderful. I have achieved my purpose of not coaching. And so I sat there and I continued to watch as this mom who was clearly in over her head but had a very pure heart and was trying her best for her boy, I watched as she started to try to corral these kids. She never raised her voice. She never was demonstrative in her actions. And they completely ignored her. And as they continued to run around the court and not do anything they were supposed to do, she pulled out a three-ring binder. And her three-ring binder had about 50 pages in it, and she began to flip through the pages, and it became apparent to me and another dad, she's trying to learn about basketball as she's getting ready to coach these boys. And so she's flipping through page after page after page, and she looks over at one of us when she arrives at the page she thinks that she should start with, and she says, do either one of you know how to teach these boys a three-man weave? <laughs> now, I don't know if you know anything about basketball or not, but a three-man weave is not a first-year basketball drill or experience. It's like showing up in first grade and saying, who wants to start with fractions? You don't get there. There's other things you have to do. And in a, a moment of inspiration, I stood up and told her, I'll coach. Like, I'll, I'll do it if you'll do the mom stuff, if you'll do the team mom, if I'll, I'll run it, I'll do it. And so suddenly, with her lack of yelling, there was an abundance of yelling. With her lack of demonstrative action, there was an abundance of demonstrative action. And those boys were on the line, and we got going. Right? And we figured it out. And the only reason I stepped in was because I knew this poor lady was about to take this simple, beautiful game, and she was going to muddy it up for these boys that didn't know their head from their foot, right? And so I just knew I've got to step in. It's so easy. There's just simple skills. There's simple things. And, and in doing so, not to brag, but we won a bunch of games, and the boys learned about basketball. And more than that, I discovered I actually loved it. And I did it year after year, and I, then I did it with my second child, and then I did it with my baby girl for one year, and we decided that wasn't good for anyone. And, and so I coached the boys all the way through, but it started in a moment of frustration where something simple was being made complex. And what we find in Acts chapter 15 this morning is we find a moment in church history where the simple truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is at risk of being muddied and made complex by a group of men who want to add a bunch of extra rules and regulations to it. And so if you remember a couple weeks ago, we read the first half and talked through Acts chapter 15, where there are two developing camps in the early church. One is the camp of the apostles, and, and spoiler alert, it's the winning camp. And it's the camp that says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There's nothing ex extra to be added. There are no additional requirements. There are no prerequisites. That Jesus came for sinners, and that's all of us, so we just say yes to him, and then he's the one who begins a process of transformation. The other camp, the losing camp, was a camp that said it's Jesus, yes, but also Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the law of Moses. Jesus plus watch what you eat. Jesus plus, be careful who you hang out with. Jesus plus, make sure the textures of your clothes aren't mixed. Jesus plus, feasts and festivals. Jesus plus, Jewish culture and custom. And they were, they were promoting this idea to be a, a full participant in God's kingdom. You said yes to Jesus, but then you also had to prove your worthiness through the obedience to all these rules and rituals and routines. 
And so we saw last week that the rejection of this, how leading with rules leads to death. We saw that the poison that happens when preferences become prerequisites. And today what we find is that the culminating decision of the Jerusalem council. And so these two parties have come, they've gathered the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. They have presented the side of what become known as the Judaizers, the people who believe it's Jesus plus Judaism. And then they presented the side of the apostles who believe it's Jesus plus nothing. And where we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 15, verse 12, we see the concluding decision of the early church that shaped us from the beginning on to today. Verse 12, it says, The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. So James gets up and he reminds us that the gospel is for everyone. He quotes from Amos chapter 9, Amos chapter 9, to remind the people that God has always had a plan to rebuild David's fallen tent, meaning to restore the people of Israel, every Jewish person, into a relationship with God. But he says more than that, he also has a plan to bring even all the Gentiles, everyone who bears his name, into a relationship with him. And so James draws from the scriptures. He points back to the experiences of Barnabas and Paul, of Peter and Cornelius, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Gentiles who have not obeyed an inch of Jewish law to make it clear that Jesus is for everyone everywhere and his offer of salvation is without prerequisite and without additional requirements. And so what that means is from that day to this day, the gospel is still available to everyone everywhere without prerequisites and without additional requirements. So there's nothing you have to do to earn a hearing of the gospel. There's no hoop you have to jump through to prove your worthiness of being offered salvation in Jesus Christ. Scripturally, the only thing you have to do is be a complete screw up and you've already done it. And so you are fully qualified and everyone else is fully qualified. Now, for most of us, when we hear that, we embrace that good news for us because we know who we are and we know what we've done. And we know that we are never that great at keeping all of the rules all of the time and we will always fall short in some way. So the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is exceedingly great news for us. And we embrace it and we begin to walk in this new life. But somewhere along the line, there comes this temptation as we walk with Jesus and he begins a process of renewing our mind and he changes our behavior and he changes the way we speak and he changes the way we think and he changes the way we interact with other people and he changes the way we see the world and he changes the way we spend our money and he changes the way we raise our kids and he changes the way that we treat our spouse and he begins this continual process of remaking us in his image. There's a temptation somewhere along the way to 
assume that now everyone else who's saying yes to Jesus today needs to be immediately where I am after decades of following him. And what James is trying to help us understand this morning is the gospel is for everyone, which means it's accessible right where they are. They don't have to clean themselves up. They don't have to change their clothes. They don't have to change their behavior. They simply repent and say yes to Jesus. And when they do, they're brought into the kingdom. They're welcomed into the family, just like you and I are. And just in case we don't get it, he goes on in verse 19 to make it abundantly clear to us. He said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So you've got to ask the question, why does James tell us we should not make it difficult for others, for Gentiles who are turning to God? And I think the answer is because we have a natural tendency to make it difficult for others who are turning to God. We embrace his grace for us, and then we're tempted like the Judaizers to turn and say, it's Jesus plus nothing for me and Jesus plus works for you. I get a lot of grace on my journey of discipleship. You need to get straightened out before you start coming with me. And yet what the gospel tells us is that it is grace alone for all of us. James seems to understand an idea that that we sometimes tend to forget, that the gospel confronts us before it comforts us. And so when he says we should not make it difficult, the reason he says we should not make it difficult is because the gospel is difficult enough in itself. And so the gospel comes and it confronts us with the truth of who we are. You can read through the scriptures, the descriptions of life without Christ. We're told that we are dead, we are cold, we are isolated, we are rebellious. We are enemies of God. We are the cause of suffering and the reason for pain. We are blinded to the truth. We're on the path to destruction. We're victims of the enemy and willing subjects of his rule. All our attempts at religious rule keeping are like filthy rags and get us absolutely nowhere. Every effort at self-improvement is doomed because we are corrupt from the inside out. And so the gospel is good news of great joy for all people, but before we receive Jesus as Savior, we receive the conviction of sin from the Holy Spirit. And so what James is trying to help the church understand then, and what we need to understand now, is the gospel remains the most offensive part of the Christian community. And we don't need to make it any more offensive. The Holy Spirit, here's the difference. When the Holy Spirit confronts the sin in my heart, I receive it as conviction and it points me to Jesus. But when I try to take his job and do that for other people, his offense leads them to repentance. My offense leads them to be offended. Right? That's, that's the difference and that's why we've got to make it easy. Right, this is another way of understanding what James is telling. He's saying, look, we have good news of great joy. 
We're coming with the message of the gospel that confronts us in our sin, but then comforts us with our Savior. That it tells us the depths of our depravity, who we are, what we've done, and where we'll go without Jesus Christ. But it also, as it confronts, then it begins to comfort us. And it tells us you are the son or the daughter of God. He knows you from before the creation of the world. He knew you. He knew where you would live and what you would do and what you would experience. The scriptures tell us that while you were still in your mother's womb, he knew you. That when you were born, he knew the number of hairs on your head. He knows your name and your situation. He knows every problem that you're going through. He knows the places where you need healing and the places where you need forgiveness. And the good news of the gospel that comforts us today is Jesus comes and does those things in our life. He is still the Savior who redeems us from all the works of the enemy. He's still the one who comes and restores our hearts to the Father. He's still the one who comes and gives us the ability to live in authentic community with each other. He's still the one who comes and helps us find purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment in life. He's still the one who comes and has promised to lift the burden of grief and the weight of depression. He's still the one who comes and says, I will lead you and guide you. I will provide for you. I am the Lord, your healer. I hear your cries and I respond to you. He's the one who's promised to heal, to save, and to deliver. The comfort of the gospel comes through the presence of Jesus Christ. And it is so transformational that James wants to make sure the church from our formation understands our job is to make it as easy as possible for everyone everywhere to hear the exclusive truth of who Jesus is. And so as Christians, it's such good news that we can't be obnoxious about it. It's such good news that we don't want to be offensive with it. In fact, we want to be obstacle clearers. We want to be those throwing open the doors to the kingdom and telling everyone, come in with us. Unfortunately, sometimes some of us have taken up a a false position that God has not given us of doorkeepers of the kingdom, where we stand and decide, you look okay, come on in. You take a shower, come back later. Right, you. I heard what you said. On your, I saw the vape. You get rid of that, right? Like we've got all of these. And, and James is just saying, no, no, no. Make it easy. Make it easy. How do you make it easy for others to hear the gospel? You make it easy by removing all the unnecessary obstacles. You make it easy by surrendering your preferences. You make it easy by sacrificing the way you prefer things to be done. And you make it easy by doing everything you can to build relationships with everyone everywhere to let them know Jesus sees you, knows you, loves you, and has a plan for you. And it, it sounds really fun to make it easy, but if, if you really stop and think about it, it's, it's not always easy to make it easy. And it, it's sometimes difficult to make it easy for others to find and follow Jesus. You think about it just in, in terms of a parent. If a parent, if your greatest desire is for your kids to know and follow Jesus, that's wonderful. And part of your job is to make it easy for them to do that. But, but I don't know if you're aware of this. It's, it's not easy being a parent. It's not easy being a Christian parent trying to point your children towards Jesus. And it's not easy because at some point every Christian parent comes to the realization of, I can't make my child say yes to Jesus. You can make them get dressed, you can make them brush their teeth, you can make them eat their vegetables, you can make them take their vitamins, you can make them get in the car, you can make them do all sorts of things. But there's never been a parent who's been able to make their child say yes to Jesus. And so as a parent, we're making a decision. I can't make them, but I can make it as easy as possible. 
I can try to, to dispel and push back every obstacle that culture would throw up in their way. I can try to guard their heart and their mind by what I allow to come in and influence them. I can try to set a schedule and a pattern, a routine of life where they are constantly surrounded by the gospel and where they're planted in a community. But when you make that decision, it's not easy to make it easy for your kids because there's gonna be other opportunities, there's going to be other obstacles, there's going to be other hardships and difficulties. The enemy will not stop pursuing them, and so as a mom or a dad, it's always going to be difficult to make it easy for your kids to follow Jesus. But it's a determined decision of I know this is the best thing, I know this is the greatest thing, I know this is the only thing will last, and I know I can't control their ultimate decision, but I'm gonna stack as much wood as I can around their heart so that in the right time and in the right place and in God's way, the Holy Spirit will light it like a fire and they will say yes to Jesus and they will follow him every single day. See, it's not easy to make it easy. It's not easy to make it easy for children in foster care to hear that God knows them, loves them, and has a plan for them. It's not easy to give up a week of your vacation to go serve at Royal Family Kids Camp to be with seven to 11-year-olds from trauma backgrounds. It's not easy when you're investing in a royal family and and some of these kids are so sweet and they're so kind and they're so receptive to love and stability and others of them, they're, they're hurting and their hearts are hard and they meet your love and they meet your acceptance with resistance and opposition. And it's not easy to get up and go around camp every day with them in the heat. It's not easy to constantly try to redirect onto another activity. It's not easy to be able to answer all of their questions. It's not easy but it's our job. And God has called us to use our time, to use our energy, to use our resources to clear obstacles for others to come in and experience new life in him. When we think of kingdom builders, we want to think of kingdom builders as people who make it easy. We we support 60 missionaries working in 30 nations around the world, and the reason they are working in those nations is because God has called them to make it easy for someone who doesn't know about him to hear the good news of the gospel. See, we see it throughout the book of Acts. From the formation of the church, missions has been at the core of what we do. Every time the church is established in a new place, that new church launches out missionaries to go to new places to tell more people about Jesus. And they go to make it easy. They don't go with obstacles. They don't go with their own culture. They don't go saying, you've got to dress like me, talk like me, act like me. They go and they plant themselves in communities. And in these new communities, they begin to learn the language, and they begin to learn the culture, and they begin to learn the customs. And they begin to eat new food, and they begin to adopt to new schedules. And if you talk to our missionaries, they will tell you it is exhilarating because you're following the call of God on your life, and it's also one of the hardest things you've ever done because you've been uprooted from everything you've known and planted in a new place. But in that new place, they pursue and embrace difficulty for the sake of making it easy. Because if you're going to preach the gospel to someone who's never heard about Jesus, you need to do it in the language of their heart. If you're going to make applications to show them how God has been working and moving, you need to understand the culture and the customs. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we want to be a church where God is constantly calling some of us out to go and share the good news in new places with new people. And declaring we will not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And so Kingdom Builders is at the the core of how we do that. And before we get into our our Kingdom Builders projects for this year, I want to invite you to to think of three terms with me when you think of how you're participating in Kingdom Builders this year. So the first one is 
one I'm not terribly familiar with. It's a, a patron. So some of you perhaps are familiar with uh, people who are patrons of the arts, right? people who believe in the, the value of artistic expression, of musical composition and performance. Historically, if you look at some of the greatest composers, the greatest playwrights, their work was made possible by patrons. Patrons were men and women who believed in the, the avenues that were being pursued, and they invested so that the artist, the sculptor, the painter, the musician, the composer would have time to dedicate to their craft. And so, so many of the great historical works that we enjoy today, they're the work of the artist, but they're also the work of the patron. It's the patron who gave to enable them to have a place to live, to have a place to work, to have food on the table, to provide for their families. And so when you think about kingdom builders, perhaps one way to think about it is it's an opportunity for us to be patrons for missionaries, to be the ones who are behind the scenes, to be the, the silent piece that's so essential to the puzzle, to be the one who will give to enable them to do the things that God has called them to do, arranging these beautiful gospel compositions that are being played in cultures all over the world. Now, perhaps like me, some of you have uh, no experience with the arts, my only experience with art was a fifth grade art class where my art teacher told me it was terrible and offered to do my drawings for me. <laughs> Don't awe, I happily accepted. <laughs> I, was, I had never been more thrilled. She was like, that's really bad. Would you like me to do it? And I said, yes, please. And I got an A and sat down at my seat. It was wonderful. Loved every moment of it. So when I read about patrons of the arts, I appreciate what they've done on a certain level, but not at a heart level. Right? But there are other things that, that I understand. I understand boosters. Right? I understand boosters because I'm part of the booster club. My kids play basketball, and I understand the booster club is the place where I'm expected to give my time and my money. And as I give my time and my money, I'm given a promise that it will result in wins on the court and a better quality of program. And so I happily give my time and my money. And I happily recruit others to give their time and their money. Right? Because basketball is a beautiful game, but it's more beautiful when you win. And so we, we have this booster club and we exist. And what happens is when the team wins, we know we're not part of the team, but we know we're part of the program. And you feel invested and you feel for it. And, and as a booster club, your job is you're going to raise money so as these boys travel, you can cover some of the hotel costs so that you can feed them so that the coaches don't have to worry about it. The job of a booster is to promote, to boost, to support, to make it easier for the team to do the things that they're supposed to do. Right, we, many of you, you've had that experience as your kids have played high school sports. You see it all around the world with college sports as it becomes this ridiculous multi-million dollar investment on every big campus where boosters are giving massive sums of money. Why do they do it? Because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. What makes a millionaire give millions to an institution that, that he really doesn't have any real sense of belonging to except that he went there a while ago? It's this idea of he wants to be part of its ongoing success. He wants to be part of this bigger story that's being told. Right, we, we understand patrons. We understand boosters. We all understand partners. Partner is somebody who comes alongside. And sometimes a partner is somebody that's your partner at work where you're actually engaging in the process with them. Sometimes it's a, a silent partner who's just there in the background offering financial support or offering occasional coaching or advice. But a partner is somebody who's invested with you. And so as we think of kingdom builders this year, what we're thinking about is how can we be patrons? How can we be boosters? How can we be partners and supporters of what God is doing around the world in our community and in the next generation? 
And so our goal in 2024 with our Kingdom Builders is to give away $550,000 to be part of what God is doing all over the world. And so I want to walk you through a few of the, the avenues that we're going to do that this year. First of all, our first tier of Kingdom Builders giving is global giving. So we will invest $400,000 in 2024 to be part of what God is doing all over the world. Of that $400,000, the majority comes in two primary areas. One is $150,000 in monthly support of 60 missionaries and ministries working in 30 nations around the world. Over the last 50 years, missiologists, those who study the work of missions in the Christian church, have repeatedly affirmed that the most effective way to take the gospel to new places and new people is through boots-on-the-ground missionaries who live and work full-time among unreached people groups, who learn the language, learn the culture, eat the food, live in the towns and the villages. And so through your Kingdom Builders giving, the first fulfillment we make every month is our monthly support of 60 missionaries and ministries working in 30 nations around the world. Your gifts set them free to pursue the callings and opportunities that God has given to them. Another big arm of our global missions giving is $175,000 in spontaneous blessings. Every year, our missionaries present us with needs and opportunities, with projects and moments where we can step in and be a significant part of what God is doing. A big part of those spontaneous blessings will come this fall when Stephen Kirk comes and presents us with opportunities to build churches in Burundi. Through a partnership with the Burundi Assemblies of God in 2023, Christian Chapel gave over $100,000 to build churches for newly established churches in the hope of putting a church within walking distance of every Burundian, one of the poorest nations in Africa. It also includes gifts to sponsor a massive healing and evangelism service in Brazil, a festival with Rubens and Steffi Cunha. It includes Bible college construction with an Assemblies of God movement in another nation. It includes serving Paraguay children's home and school, repairing water wells in Africa, a Live Dead Missionary Kid school housing program that I'll tell you a little bit more about later, and a Live Dead India business platform where we enable them to start a coffee shop, open a gym for creative access to share the gospel. In addition to global giving, we also have a local arm of Kingdom Builders. That includes $75,000 to support Royal Family Kids Camp and Mentoring Club. It's a free week of camp, as we talked about earlier, for 7 to 11-year-olds in foster care. Each year we take between 60 and 70 campers with about 100 to 120 volunteers from Christian Chapel. In addition to a free week of camp, we are able to offer an ongoing mentoring club that meets throughout the school year where kids continue to experience the life and love of Jesus. It also includes money for spontaneous blessings as needs arise in our community, gifts to crisis pregnancy outreach, helping women and babies affected by unplanned pregnancies, gifts to teen challenge alcohol and drug rehabilitation programs, setting men and women free from life-controlling addictions, a gift for crossover community impact, making a difference in North Tulsa, Chi Alpha College ministry investments for college students around the state on our state university campuses, and local elementary school ministry here at our neighborhood school, Jarman Elementary, as well as a few others where some of our members operate good news clubs that are after-school Bible clubs sharing the story of Jesus with students. The final bucket of Kingdom Builders is our next generation. Giving this year will invest $40,000. That is spread out over a Christian Chapel internship program that exists for college students to train future church leaders. 
kids and student outreach events that are run by our chapel youth and chapel kids departments to reach our community and the friends and classmates of our current chapel kids and chapel youth. Student mission trip scholarships to fund chapel college students and chapel youth high school students who are pursuing God's call and listening for his voice as they travel around the world on short-term trips and gifts for Christian Chapel Kids Camp and Youth Camp scholarships, helping kids who are otherwise unable to go to experience a week at camp where they hear God's voice, experience God's presence, and enjoy friendships and relationships with others. When you make a gift to Kingdom Builders, you're not just giving to an institution, an organization, or to nameless faces. We know every person we give to. We're aware of the details of their ministry. We value the sacrifice that you make and intentionally choose partners that are making a real world difference to invest our Kingdom Builders funds in each year. This year, what I would encourage you to, to do is not just put yourself in the position of the patron, but put yourself in the position of the one needing that kind of support. So imagine that God has called you to move your family and to become a missionary to an unreached people group. Our new and most significant investments at Christian Chapel are for missionaries living and working full-time among unreached people groups. Most of those live in the 1040 window of the world, which is predominantly Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. In those spaces, it is not only very difficult to preach the gospel, it's also just very difficult to live. It's a completely different culture, a completely different way of life. The values that you've grown up with in the States are not shared and sometimes resented in the new places where you find yourself. And so imagine you have packed up your home and you've sold your belongings and you've raised your support and now you're moving to the other side of the world to plant yourself in a new community. You find yourself as an adult feeling very much like a child as you try to learn Arabic or Hindi. You're trying to figure out how do we live and how do we shop for groceries and how do we cook with these new groceries that we've just purchased. You're trying to decide where you'll educate your children and what avenues you'll have for access to the gospel. And in that place of so much new and so much uncertain, imagine for a moment the appreciation you have for those who are supporting you on a monthly basis. Because in the midst of so much new, the thing you don't have to worry about is you don't have to worry about, can I pay my rent? You don't have to worry about, can I pay for the language classes that I need to take? You're receiving a modest salary. Your health care is provided for. Your children have funds to be educated. And all of that is possible because of patrons who've adopted you, and they've become patrons for unreached people groups who've said, we believe in what you're doing, and we don't just believe in terms of patting you on the back and sending you on your way, but we believe in every month we're making a gift. Every month we're being part of what you're doing. And when you give to Kingdom Builders, you are part of that story for 60 missionaries and ministries working in 30 nations around the world, many of them in hard and difficult places. Or or perhaps put yourself in the position of Rubens and Steffi Cunha. Rubens and Steffi Cunha operate Global Gospel Action. Rubens just preached for us two weeks ago. When he preached, he shared with us that in 2023, through the the campaigns that they had in Brazil, in Ethiopia, in Pakistan, and other parts of the world, they saw 250,000 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. It's an incredible harvest. And in each one of those situations, they don't just blow in, hold a big service, and then leave. 
But there's lots of work that's went in ahead of time with local church pastors who are there at the festivals, who are discipling new believers, who are welcoming them into their homes and into their churches. And imagine for a moment that God has put a calling on your life like Reuben's. And you know, every one of those crusades, every one of those campaigns, they cost anywhere from 10 to 20 to $25,000. But imagine that you have a group of supporters who so believe, not just in you, but in what God has called you to do, that they give faithfully and they give monthly. And so instead of constantly raising funds, you get to invest your energy in identifying new places to take the gospel and identifying new local churches to partner with. And from there, new ground is broken, new places are established, and new people say yes to Jesus. Or maybe imagine with me for a moment that you're a 7 to 11-year-old child in Tulsa. And the circumstances of life have not been at all what you had hoped, but it's all you've ever known. To find yourself in foster care in Tulsa County, it means most often in some way you've been the victim of some form of abuse, abandonment, neglect, or the death of a loved one. The qualifications are never good and they're always painful. And as a seven to 11 year old, you're bouncing from foster home to foster home, which means you're also bouncing from school to school. You have no sense of permanence, no sense of belonging, no real sense of hope. You're struggling in your classes. You're having difficulty in the foster home in which you live. And suddenly you find yourself being dropped off at a church you've never visited on a Monday morning and all you know is you're being sent to a week of camp. And as you go to that week of camp, you climb on a big bus and you start a drive to, you don't really know where, you've been told it's a fun camp, but you're just on for another new experience. But you arrive at a camp and as you pull down the gravel driveway, you look out the window and you see an adult with a sign that has your name on it. And it's significant because you're used to no one knowing your name. You're used to being forgotten, you're used to being overlooked, you're used to being ignored. You're used to being called all kinds of things except your name. And you get off the bus and you walk over to this man or this woman holding the sign and they get down on their knee and they tell you, I'm so glad you're here. I've been praying for you. We're gonna have such a great week and you're still not real sure what's going on, but then they just, they just keep taking you from fun activity to fun activity to fun activity. And you're getting breakfast and you're getting lunch and you're getting dinner and you're getting snacks, and everywhere you look, in your room, on your bed, there's your name, and there's a name tag, and there's shirts with your names on it, and there's activities with your names on it, and somewhere during the course of that week, you start to believe that your name is worth knowing. And you're starting to hear these Bible stories about this man named Jesus, and they say that he's the reason we're here, and he's the one who loves you, and he's the one who's for you, and every night when you go to bed, maybe for the first time in your life, Someone walks over and they place their hand on your shoulder and they start to pray for you. And something you maybe never experienced and you've never known. But in that moment, you're thankful for partners that have been kingdom builders to make this possible for you. Because it's possible that this one week becomes the seed of hope that changes the direction of your life. See, when you partner with Royal Family, you're not just giving dollars to an organization. You're investing in life change for children who find themselves in desperate situations. Or, or perhaps imagine with me that you're a teenager. Your mom or dad have said yes to a call to missions. Life was going maybe pretty good for you back home in the States, and 
you'd went to elementary school and you'd went to middle school and around 14, 15 years old, your mom and dad started to tell you, hey, we feel like God is calling us to serve as missionaries in the Middle East. And they invited you into that process and you prayed and, and you agreed, yes, I do believe this is what God is calling our family to. And so you started this process with them. And you traveled around the US and you raised funds and you said yes and you saw people support you and your family uprooted and you left. And now you find yourself living in a new place and you've sacrificed, you've, you've given up the extracurricular activities that you loved. You've given up the friends that you'd known for your whole life. And you find yourself in a new place and your mom and dad, they're doing their best to homeschool you but, but your educational needs are starting to surpass their abilities. And the, the local schools are not really a safe option for you or a legitimate option for you. And, and then imagine somebody comes to you and they says, hey, we've, we've got an opportunity. It's just a short two, three hour flight away from where you live. There's a home in Southern Germany and there's a missionary couple who lives there and they've bought this home specifically so that children whose parents are serving in the Middle East as teenagers can come. They can live in the home for a couple months at a time while they attend a school that's established for the kids of missionaries. And in this international school, you can participate in the extracurricular activities, but it's not gonna have a boarding school feel you're gonna feel like you're at home. Because the missionaries who live there, they're also friends with your parents. And because it's a short flight, your mom and dad can see you every other month or so, and you can fly back to see them. But you can also get all these experiences you need. And as a teenager, as you, even as you're negotiating the sadness of not living with mom and dad full time, you're also embracing the excitement of, I'm getting the education, and I'm getting the experiences, and my parents are still pursuing the call that God has placed on their life. And in that space, you're thankful that there were boosters who believed that even if they weren't part of the team, they could be part of the program. And your success as a teenager becomes part of my success at Christian Chapel, giving to Kingdom Builders. This year, through a partnership with Live Dead Missions, an organization in the Assemblies of God designed to reach unreached people groups, we have the opportunity to help them purchase that home in Germany that'll be staffed by some missionaries we support who will serve as the house parents living and working full-time as missionaries and also helping these missionary kids get all the education, all the experiences that they need while maintaining as close of a connection as possible to their parents. See, when you say yes to being a kingdom builder, you're not just saying yes to dollars at Christian Chapel. You're saying yes to be part of stories of transformation that God is writing all over the world. And so when you take that Kingdom Builders card there this morning, there's a, a couple opportunities for us to participate. First of all, you can fill out the back of it. If you prefer a more old school approach, we welcome that. There's some pins in the back of your chairs. You can write in uh, what you would like to do, if that's a monthly amount, a weekly amount, uh, maybe a once or twice a year amount. Your commitment just helps us with our budget. It helps us, we're going to fulfill those project needs that we presented. But your commitment helps us notify the missionaries and ministries of when we may be able to fulfill them. And so if, if you prefer to do that, you can do that. You can drop it in one of the buckets after service. You can drop it off at the church office. You can put it in the mail. You can give it to a pastor, whatever you would like to do. If you would prefer to do it digitally, you can scan the QR code behind me or the QR code that's on that form. And you can fill that out online as well. Nobody's coming to collect on your Kingdom Builders commitment. Again, it's just a way for us to know what's coming in so that we can send it out as quickly and efficiently as possible. When you give to Kingdom Builders, you are part of what God is doing all around the world 
in our local community, and in the next generation. Your gifts do not stay with us. We send them out as quickly as we can. Our goal every year is to fully fund all of those projects and even more as God enables us to do so. So I wanna just encourage you, if, if you're, you're ready to go, just make that commitment today. If you need to take some time to think about it, pray about it, discuss it with your spouse, do that this week, but figure out, just really begin to ask the Lord, how can I be a patron? How can I be a supporter? How can I be a booster? How can I be a partner with what you're doing all over the world? And as we do our part, and others do their part, we all get to participate in making it easy for everyone everywhere to find new life in Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us. The band's gonna come back and lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have called us and enabled us, Lord, to participate in your kingdom. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here today who's not yet said yes to you, that today, Lord, you would continue to reveal yourself to them as their Savior, their King, and their Lord. That they would confess their sins, turn away from their behaviors, and embrace new life in you. Lord, the rest of us who said yes to you, we ask that you would come today and you would give us a strong and relentless desire to build your kingdom here and all over the world. Lord, will you show us what we can do to partner with others in every nation and among every people group so that everyone has the same opportunity we've had to say yes to you. Jesus, we thank you that someone else made a determined effort to make it easy for us to surrender to you. And now we're asking that you will give us the ability to do that for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.